23rd episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast with your host, Brent Hershey, and me, Chris Blessing. We celebrated the return of baseball last week across the big leagues and all full season affiliated teams on the farm. Brent, any impressions on the first week's sample of games? Well, yeah, at the major league level, certainly it looks like the hitters are ahead of the pitchers. I mean, there was yes. just uh, tons of offense. Uh, all weekend long. And the second thing is just, man, the injuries are a big deal. I mean, you keep getting, uh, you know, Giolito gone down. It looks like uh, Luis Patino went down earlier today. Uh, just uh, they keep, and there's tons more. They just keep piling up. I think that's just kind of the reality of what we have uh, to deal with here, especially early in the season, given the short ramp up uh, to the games. Um, what about you, Chris? What did you, what were your impressions of the first week or so? Uh, it's around the same sort of uh, theme. A lot of injuries that have been coming up. I, I've. Uh, it seems like I've had a pitcher leave one of my teams every day this week, including yeah, a team right? on one of my leagues. So um, it, it, it's been rough. It's been really rough. Um, well, anyway, we've, we've got a really big show coming your way this week. Even though neither of us got to the park last week, <laughs> Brent was very busy handling co-GM duties, and I flat out wasn't traveling to Nashville for AAA action when I could avoid uh, the time zone change and the cost for lodging. And also, why go to Nashville when they have one of the best AAA feeds on uh, MILB TV? And I can watch it from the comforts of my uh, new office, which is still my dining room for whatever reason. So, uh, so instead of us talking about what we saw at the park, I actually asked a friend to come join us. Yeah, coming into the season, uh, we talked about you and I about having a few more guests um, on the show here. Uh, we had a couple uh, baseball HQ minor league team contributors, Jeremy Deloney and Rob Gordon, last year, um, and we'll hopefully have them both again back this season. But our first guest this year is uh, no stranger to fantasy baseball and prospect fans. Um, he contributed to several sites, including Razzball and Perfect Game. He was a co-founder of Prospects Live, where he did a little bit of everything. And then got hired by our friends at Baseball America last fall. Let's uh, please welcome Jeff Ponce to the show. How are you, Jeff? Doing good. Sorry for my children, uh, I guess, cheering me on in the background. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it as that. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's the first time for us, you know, having having some extra audience, uh, live audience. So we'll we'll go ahead uh, we'll go ahead with that. No problem. Yeah, they might actually like attack each other, but I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, obviously, long time uh, friend of both you guys in the show and listeners. So uh, you know, happy to contribute where I can. Well, this this live audience thing is going to be great. So uh, <laughs> I'm pumped to actually have you on the show with us anyway, uh, not just because you bring a live audience. Uh, as a Baseball America subscriber, I believe your addition to their team has you know, rounded out an already stellar operation, especially your data-centric content, um, including hosting a 90th percentile podcast, which I've, I've listened to the first, uh, I think, four episodes. I haven't listened to the fifth one yet. Um, can you tell our listeners about the 90th percentile podcast and any other projects you currently are working on? 
Um, six episodes deep. Like I try to do it on a somewhat weekly basis, but it's really just based around availability of guests. And um, my my goal with that show is really just to have a great guest on every single week with a lot of insights on something that sort of ties into either player development, analytics, uh, a little bit of both. Um, could be a player, could be a coach, could be a trainer. We've had Tom House on so far. Um, we had on Sean McGrath, who's a pitching coach uh, for the AA Arkansas affiliate of uh, the Mariners. Uh, was George Kirby's pitching coach actually before this uh, at Elon. Uh, so he had a lot of insights just in terms of how things work on the college side of the game. Um, a small you know, mid-major to a slightly bigger mid-major than to working on the pro side, I thought was really insightful. Um, you know, we had on Nick Lodolo. Uh, this was before he broke camp with the Reds. So he was in spring, uh, early spring at that point, talking a little bit about what he was working on and a little bit about his offseason and how, you know, he used tech and different sort of analytics and stuff like that that he, he paid attention to. Um, and then this week, actually, we had one more guest we had on um, David O'Hagan uh, and Nathaniel Plotz, who's a longtime friend of mine who worked for XL Sports Management uh, on the agency side, but are really data-driven in terms of how they target players and then some of the stuff that they do behind the scenes with their clients. And then this week, it hasn't been released yet, but we uh, had Driveline founder and owner uh, Kyle Body on the show. So got to talk with Kyle for about an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes oh, wow. and got to a ton of insight just on um, you know, the back, the, be the back room and sort of the way things work behind the scenes, uh, within the minor league development sort of, um, structure. So that was a really interesting conversation as well. So it's, it's a fun podcast and allows me to sort of sit back, really ask questions that I want more clarity on sometimes, or I just flat out don't know much about. And it gives me an opportunity to bring on smarter people than myself to, to talk about that stuff and learn from them. And I hope that, you know, listeners uh, gain a lot of value out of that. That's essentially what Brent and I are doing today. So it's bringing on somebody yeah, smarter yeah, than us. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you, I know you've also just uh, been busy kind of on the field over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I believe you're on the East coast of Florida uh, towards the end of spring training, covering the minor leaguers there in the, West Palm, Jupiter, St. Lucie area. What was it like kind of working that complex and getting, getting you know, getting a better uh, view of some of these raw prospects on, on, on that side? Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. It was overwhelming, almost like a wave of information and players <laughs> to evaluate at one point mm -hmm. in time. I tried to split it up. So the camps that are down there for those that, that don't know, uh, that would be Houston's camp is in West Palm. Uh, the Nationals camp is also in West Palm. You have two camps in Jupiter between the Marlins and the Cardinals, and you have the Mets up in Port St. Lucie. So I was sort of bouncing around to the five different camps. Uh, I remember the first day I got off the plane, uh, it was a Tuesday. I went immediately to uh, the Cardinals backfields where um, – they were playing the Nationals. So I got some Brady House looks. Um, I got some looks on uh, Juan Bin Chow, actually, who I know has um, been, you know, sort of talked about a little bit on social media over the last couple of months since he signed, because uh, he's a really interesting sort of character and has an interesting social account as well. Um, and then, you know, a couple of arms there, too. So that was that was kind of fun to catch that right as I got off the plane. I checked into the hotel. 
uh, went over to the Mets uh, Clover Field for the Major League game, and I got to see Jacob Degrom against uh, <laughs> well, he was still healthy, looking unbelievable yeah. against the Astros. So that was a lot of fun. Next day was really the craziest day. That Wednesday, I went back to Jupiter. I really love Jupiter too, by the way. Just to, if you're in that area, you want to go to a um, spring training on the East Coast. I really would suggest going to Jupiter. It's a beautiful city. And I think the complexes are really good as well. Really accessible for fans. Um, and, you know, it's right next to, to Dean as well. So you can always catch a major league game afterward. And that's really a nice park too. Um, but I, I got all four minor league teams for the Cardinals and the Marlins on the complex for the Cardinals. So the whole Clover was, you know, in action. And it was crazy to go from one park to see you know, mm-hmm. Matthew Liebertor throw with Yadier Molina behind the plate and, you know, getting some work in because he showed up to camp late. Walking over to the double-A game and seeing Jordan Walker and seeing uh, Mason Wynn and Delvin Perez in the same infield, which is pretty exciting. Uh, you know, yeah. pretty good pretty good in, uh, fielding infield. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Austin Love threw in that game, a couple other arms. Uh, going over to the, the, the A-ball games and getting to see a lot of the the – Marlins kids, Jose Salas, Khalil Watson, who was one of the most impressive players that I saw when I was down there, if not the most impressive player that I saw. I got to see Yidi, uh, Yidi Cape, who was a big signing for them out of Cuba. Um, yeah. Really impressive athlete, pretty, um, you know, pretty toolsy, um, still yeah. really, really projectable, thin, tall, but kind of has that, like, this guy, if everything clicks, could be like Fernando Tatis, like it's that kind of a, a build and twitch. Um, mm. And then some of, you know, some of their arms as well, but it was it was really fun. I mean, I got Gordon um, Graceffo through hit, hit 100 miles per hour per the Trackman. It's 98 on my gun, but the Trackman said 100, so I'll go with that. Um, yeah, you always guys Yeah, exactly. If it's 100, I'll take it. Um, but just really, really exciting day. It was a little overwhelming. I had three cameras going on the four fields. I had one where I was like kind of bouncing back and forth between double A and triple A and getting getting shots, and then just <laughs> cameras running yeah. on the ball fields. Went back and sort of watched that tape and cut it, et cetera. And then, you know, throughout the rest of the week, I never had a four-team complex sort of setup like that again. It was mostly two. So you'd get the low-A games or you'd get the higher minor, or excuse me, the, the lower minor games, which are the A-ball games, high-A, low-A. Uh, and then the uh, higher minor games, which are double-A, triple-A. I mostly went to the A-ball games. I did a couple camp days as well with the Marlins and the Cardinals and the Astros. Um, and then, uh, I could see Yuri Perez, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, we will. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, you know, I missed my family. I was by myself for seven days. That was the only really drawback of the whole thing. But, uh, I lived off of public subs and just cut video and watched baseball and, uh, NCAA basketball at night when I cut video. So it kind of all worked out perfect. (laughs) Yeah, those those public subs. I mean, uh, when I whenever I go out to uh, if it's training or or doing scouting or whatever, I I tend to stop at Publix and get a sub instead of uh, going elsewhere. So I, I I love that you're doing that. That's that, that was awesome. <laughs> it's it's like it's like do I go to McDonald's or some terrible drive-through food? Right. It's like I'm I'm not I'm gonna probably be hungry again in like an hour. Um, and it's just empty calories, or you can get like a real quality sub at Publix. I, I yeah. I'm not sponsored by Publix, I promise, but it's, <laughs> it's good. The other one is Wawa. They had Wawas down there, which was great at like late night because 
I would cut video yeah. and like lose track of time. Be like, oh crap, it's ten thirty. I can't get dinner any longer. But I could always yeah. get a really good sub at Wawa. So Shout yeah, and that that's one of the problems. That if there is an issue with that part of Florida, is it does close down. Uh, there's not necessarily a place after ten o'clock that's open. Uh, which it, I guess the players don't get in as much trouble if they if they want to have a wild hair and be out uh, after a certain time. So. Last week, I asked Jeff to give me a few names, and, and he delivered some great names as he just mentioned some of those guys uh, right now. And the first guy we'll talk about is one of the big risers from last year, uh, right-handed pitcher in the Miami Marlins organization, somebody that I actually scouted off a video and kind of envious of Jeff that he got to see him, and that's Yuri Perez. Jeff, what are your thoughts on Perez after seeing him in person, I assume for the first time? Yeah, I too had watched him. Uh, via video, you know, I've I've had some access to some data as well, so I was familiar with some of the unique sort sort of characteristics. Um, when we redid our our Marlins list uh, for the handbook, you know, I was pretty pretty heavy influence in Josh being like, "We got to get Yuri to one. We got to get Yuri to one." Um, luckily, the <laughs> the contacts backed that up, so it wasn't just me in the wilderness yelling it. Um, <laughs> so seeing him, you know. I think the first thing that you notice is how coordinated he is for as tall as he is. I mean, he's every bit of the six feet eight that he's listed. I mean, he is humongous, um, but he's very thin. There's still a lot of room to add projection. It's a really athletic frame. So it's not the kind of thing where you're, you're worried about him it, it backing up. Like if he was American, I always like to say this with foreign players because they probably wouldn't play baseball here. Right. Unfortunately. If he was American, this guy would be playing like in the NBA or would be like, you know, on a D1 basketball team as a small forward or a power forward, you know, um, <laughs> that could probably move a little bit. And I think that's the thing that sticks out to you more than the pitch mix. We'll get, we'll get into that in a minute. It's just how coordinated he is for as big as he is. It takes a long time for guys with with long limbs like that to get it all synced up and repeat consistently. And he really does that with great frequency. And I think that yeah. was the thing that I was most impressed with. The pitch mix in of itself is impressive. And it's it's a deep repertoire of pitches. I think anytime we're talking about these upper echelon guys, they typically always have like four offerings, right? Grayson Rodriguez, you know, is typically an example of that. Um, you know, when Forrest Whitley was still good, <laughs> way, <laughs> way back in those days. He was yeah. a guy that would show four pitches. That's why you were so into him. But right. with that being right. said, this is a guy that sits 97 to 98 miles per hour out the gate. It settled down to maybe 96 to 98 in the in the next like two to you know two or three innings that he pitched. Um against left-handers, he can he's got a good changeup. He'll use his curveball as well. Uh it's probably the worst of his four pitches, but he has confidence in it. And he will snap off some above-average sort of examples of it. Uh, against right-handers, he's got a really good slider. He'll actually throw that changeup right on right as well. Um, that is a go-to pitch for him. The slider's a little bit more sweepy. He had some trouble at times landing the changeup and the fastball arm side against lefties. Um, they weren't bad misses or anything, but it was the kind of thing where it was like, all right, he's still refining command like you know he needs like the cape cod league umpires that are going chalk to chalk in order to get some called strikes on those ones but you know but it was like the kind of thing where you, you saw the miss and you were like all right like 
if that's what he needs to overcome, that's not huge, you know, uh, especially considering the glove side command was actually pretty good. Um, he faced an entire lineup of major leaguers, pretty much. Th- there was a lineup at one point where it was Nimmo, Eduardo Escobar, Jeff McNeil, Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano, I think, was in the major leagues when Yuri Perez was born. Because I think he turned 19 this week. Um, yes, he does. So depending upon when Cano broke in with the Yankees, he might have been in the major leagues when Yuri was born. Or it was like within a year, <laughs> which I think is phenomenal. Um, yeah. So he struggled a little bit. They rolled the second. The first was fine. They rolled the second. But he wasn't bad. He was kind of missing a little bit with the slider, some of the glove side stuff that I meant. I mean, the arm side stuff that I mentioned. The slider was pretty good. And I don't think that was a common pitch for him last year. I think it's something he started to throw later in the year. But I don't don't quote me on that, but I think so. Um, that was like 86 to 89. So like he throws his slider really hard. Um, and even the curveball was like low 80s. I think it might have topped out at like 84, which is really hard for a curveball. Uh, he had good separation on the, the changeups. They were like 86, 87. Um, and he came back out in the third. It was a good inning for him. In the fourth, he was just about at his pitch count. And he had a nice battle with Eduardo Escobar where he ended up striking out. He froze him on a changeup uh, to his arm side. He actually was like the best one that he threw. So he actually landed at that time and froze uh, Escobar, then came out against McNeil, hit McNeil. McNeil kept missing on his curveball. Um, and so he kept hitting him with his curveball and his fastball and in his hands. And like Jeff McNeil doesn't, doesn't strike out very much. Uh, so I think that's a good example. And then he got a chopper from Cano that the second baseman just totally botched the throw. It was like a you know routine, routine play. So they rolled that inning, but I think he was on his pitch count at that point. And it should have been the third out of the way. Um, so he pitched pretty well. And I mean, I wasn't shocked by the assignment to double A for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, probably probably not since H- H- Julio Ure- Ureus that we've had a guy that was that young that was sort of this good, right? This, this much of a prodigy, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like he's a guy that, um, I mean, theoretically hearing what you're saying, yes, it's practice. And those guys were getting, getting their swings in and that kind of thing. But like, uh, having watched a couple of the Mets games this weekend, those, those guys were doing, a lot better seemingly against some of the nationals junk that they have <laughs> in their rotation right now. So a uh, pretty impressive group that he went against and was able to control. Uh, and, you know, this goes kind of, it's not necessarily a Yuri Perez question, but it's, it's a Yuri Perez questions as well. Um, the Marlins have been very successful recently and something that we've covered kind of briefly on this show of developing pitchers. And I think there's a uniqueness on the way that they develop pitchers in the sense that uh, we're not seeing guys that are all the same shape, not the same uh, um, release points, uh, different guys and stuff. Um, when you see a guy like Perez uh, in an organization where they're, deliver- they're, they're delivering on their player development of pitching, uh, does it increase your projection on a guy potentially? Um, not necessarily your overall high projection, but maybe your um, 
you know, probability of getting to that projection. Yeah, I think so. I spent the weekend watching a couple of 2021 draftees that I really liked. And then I had heard good things about coming into, you know, out of camp, you know, out of spring into the season from opposing scouts and, you know, guys within their respective organizations as well. Um, and I think they're just good case studies. So that's why I'm sort of going down this, this road. One is a Dodgers arm that pitched at Boston College last year that I really liked, um, Emmett Sheehan. I think he was a sixth rounder. Got to double check where he was drafted, but I think it was the sixth round. Um, he looked awesome. And so this is a guy that Boston College fired their pitching coach this year, so I don't think I'm saying anything that's like a, a revelation. Um, I think he was a former catcher, and there wasn't a lot of great pitching development going on at Boston College. They've done great work with position players. They have a whole other crop right now for that 23 and 24 class that are pretty talented. They maybe have five guys that might get drafted, seriously. Um, oh, wow. But, and they had a few last year, you know. Um, but they, pitching-wise, like Mason Pelio backed up huge. Sheehan somehow improved the entire time he was there. He's really unique from the sense that he has an outlier release height. So he's six foot five. But I think the release height on his fastball is like four nine, maybe even lower. Oh, wow. It's one of the lower release heights that you'll see. Yeah. And he's not, he's not like a like like a, a submariner or anything like that. You know, uh, it's just how far what his extension is, how far he gets down the mound. He's put on a, like maybe twenty five pounds of muscle. He looked like four. Like <laughs> grew his hair out. It's kind of blonde, ripped up, and he's sitting 95, 96 miles per hour. Went against West Michigan for Great Lakes this weekend. He's in, in high A up in the Midwest League. I remember he, he finished the first inning, and it was a third strike, swinging strike against Colt Keith. Pretty good prospect, pretty good hitting yeah. prospect. I think he went two for three the rest in his next three at-bats the rest of the game. He didn't face Sheehan again. And Sheehan ramped it up to like 97 and blew it by him. And just the ride – you know, the vertical sort of we talk about that flat vertical approach angle. He's a guy because of that release height and because of uh, the the efficiency, which causes ride that backspin in his fastball. He's able to miss bats over the top, even against a guy like Keith, who has a relatively flat plane. Like he's able to adjust to pitch height fairly well. So he usually doesn't get banged by fastballs like that. They couldn't touch it. And he's got a good change up. His, sec his, his breaking ball, his curveball has gotten, gotten better. It was really slow at Boston College. He's with the Dodgers now. He went from, you know, we'll say a lower-level <laughs> ACC program, right? Yeah. BC's really got great facilities. They're up and coming. But they're still – they're not NC State. They're not – like, we're not saying – I'm not saying anything here that's, you know, shocking. But not a program that's known for pitching development. Cold weather guy. He's from Connecticut, you know, Northeast – Goes into the Dodgers program, much like Landon Mack, even Bobby Miller to an extent. Yeah. These are better players immediately within six to 12 months of or nine months of their draft dates. They're better players just from being within those programs. Cleveland's the same way. I watched this weekend and I'm going to make a trip out to Cleveland, I think, to do this because Akron and Lake County are about 40 minutes apart from each other. Yeah, gonna, I'm going to drive close. through the, yeah. the state of New York and Pennsylvania to get to these pitchers. But for Lake County, they had Gavin Williams and Doug Nikhazy go back to back in in uh, two legs of a doubleheader. 
Okay. The previous day, Akron had Logan T. Allen is a good one. Go. Short the short guy. <laughs> left. It was awesome. And then they had Gavin Williams go the day after that. They also had like Tommy Mason and a few other arms too. Like the, yep, they, I think Mason. they actually had McKay and Curry go back to back. Right? No, it was it was no, um, Espino and uh, Curry. Espino, Espino. That was Cause, cause that, that's a 2019 Georgia connection there. Yeah, there was Espino with Curry. Like that's crazy. But not all those guys were the were what they were when they came into that organization. So. You look at Espino, he's a guy that there were certainly some doubts about him. He had an unusual prep background, to say the least. And he comes in, he answers all the questions. He physically makes changes to his mechanics that actually work and make him a better mover than he was mm -hmm. before. I don't have the biomechanical data. I can't speak to this with any, you know, quantitative like certain certainty on it. But they did something that obviously worked because all of his stuff that was good as an amateur is even better a few years later to the point that I think I rated his slider as the best slider in the minor leagues back I in January it. when I did my best pitches in the top 100 article. Um, his fastball would have been right there too. If he had a third pitch, he probably would have been within the best pitch mixes. Um, he's showing that a little bit more this year. But then you look at a guy like Curry. I saw Curry at Georgia Tech, I think against Boston College, and he was awful there were characteristics that were that were, they were like um certainly like some of the fastball shape but they lowered his release they got his fastball more efficient and now he's a different pitcher than he was as an amateur in you know 2018 or whatever it was when i saw him guys like gavin williams or a guy like nikhazy where Williams really the only question was health. He had the biggest stuff in the draft, even bigger than Doug, than than Doug, Doug, even bigger than Jack Lighters. The fastball is comparable to Lighters. Lighter has a little bit more oh, wow. an outlier like release height, but Williams throws harder. He gets just as much ride. It's not as flat, but it's still flat enough. Um, and then he's got two banger secondaries, which is something Lighter does not have. I mean, he might have seven breaking balls if. They're definitely sixes, but you watch a guy. You watch a guy like William. I watched Williams' start. I thought that was the most impressive start I watched in the minor leagues this weekend. He looked like oh, wow. he looked like heavy Garrett Cole, because it's like it's <laughs> like Garrett Cole's build. He doesn't have like he's not a, he's not an out like an outlier release. Cole is like super low release, but it's low enough. But that's kind of what you hope Landon Sims, if he was healthy coming out of the draft, like with Mississippi State, would be Gavin Williams, like. But Williams has two breaking balls. It's not just a slider and a fastball. He's mm -hmm. got a curveball, too. Um, so he just carves up lineups. And it's really, really powerful. A guy like that, if he stays healthy in Cleveland's pitching like development, oh, man. You know, and it's the same thing with Nikhazy. Nikhazy was still, I think he averaged 90.5. He might have ran it up to like 92.9 at peak. But he was mostly like 89 to 91. Which is up a yeah. little bit from what he was at, at Ole Miss, but he's a guy with really interesting pitch shape, and they've adjusted some of his lower half movement that's gotten him more direct with the plate. He's getting like twenty plus inches of ride a lot of the time. You know, he's a plus IVB guy, fairly low release height because of how short he is. He's like six feet tall, but is in so like. His release isn't crazy low because of like where his arm slot is, 
but it's low enough. Um, he's got a banger curveball with a ton of depth. He's a guy that, like, in two years, if they get him up to, like, 92 to 93 touching fours and fives consistently for five innings, that could be a serious guy. And there's some stuff about his body where you're like, yeah, you could see it happening. Like, he's, he's a mm-hmm. fairly strong kid for six feet tall. Like, he's undersized in height. But physically, he could probably handle being a, you know, uh, a, a starter long term. And I mean, he was a starter in the SEC for three years, really two and a half. But he was their Friday. He was old Mrs. Friday night guy in 2020, you know, as an underclassman. So, yeah, he was. those are the kind of guys that they're popping. Tommy Mace is interesting. I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Tommy Mace fan. He got <laughs> he got run out in uh, the first inning after two outs yesterday. Oh, um, it was not a good showing. Yeah, I mean, it was a good lineup. Like, Soderstrom's in that lineup. Um, uh, Lawrence Butler was in that lineup. A couple other guys. But still, it was like, ooh, it, it wasn't a great showing. Um, but still, like, they have – and we haven't even mentioned, like, Cody Morris. We haven't mentioned Connor Pilkington, who's up this year. Um, and a bit yeah, of I mean, other stars. Like, they tremendous they it's guys, a- and they, they turn that into something. Like, there's they can get guys in the 20 the, – you know, pick 26 it's better than someone at pick nine because they mm-hmm. identify the right characteristics there's communication yeah. throughout the yeah. organization and those organizations understand how pitches move and how that feeds into command you know if a pitch moves a certain way you don't want a certain pitch profiles throwing to a certain zone and they're an organization that understands that and not every organization understands that as crazy as that is to say I think the thing is, is there are very, and Chris, maybe you can speak this one, but like there are more, from the outside looking in and from what I've heard from people in the game, they're far more streamlined than a lot of other organizations. They are, Tampa's like that, the Dodgers are like that, Houston's like that. The good orgs tend to, you know, that yeah. develop players tend to have a high level of communication between all, you know, parts of their, or their organization. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what I've heard too. I mean, that's, that's, um, pretty much consistent to what um you know having friends in three of those five organizations that you've named and i'll even throw the marlins in there i know that's where we we started and went away from but again like sure. uh, being able to you know have a communication stream between the amateur department the amateur scouting department and player development you know, gets these guys in there and they already know what they're going to do. So, for instance, you talked about Espino. Uh, I think if you watched him in um, high school and then you watched him in the Arizona Summer League, they had already reduced the um, the drag on his his um, on his arm. Like they they already like within a two three week period. And I don't know what they did. I'll be honest. I don't know what they did, but like. This guy was a different thrower at this point, uh, and that—that's kind of uh, something that you only find in these uh, grouping of organizations, these, these smarter organizations. So um, obviously, they're doing something well. The Marlins are doing something well with guys like uh, uh, Rogers making their debut last year or two years ago, and uh, Cabrera and uh, Max Meyer getting getting closer uh, to the to the show. You mentioned Gavin Williams. I, I'll be honest. I, I probably was the one of the highest people on him just based on the organization he was going to, and um, you know, watching his delivery last year and realizing that there was 
there are some things that could be tweaked that um, an organization like them or like the Dodgers or like the Astros would be able to tweak and turn into gold. Yeah, let's let's move to some hitters, Jeff. Uh, I know you also, you mentioned earlier, you got to see Brady House, uh, 11th overall pick uh, last year in, in last year's high school, uh, or last year's draft as part of a talented high school class. He obviously, when the Nationals drafted him, became their best hitter in the system. A um, couple things to ask on him. I, I know that upon draft season there, there was a little bit of a knock on his hit tool that might have dropped him down a bit. Um, although as certainly as results and kind of the reports from uh, 2021 rookie ball, there's too much worry about not much going on. I wonder what you saw in regard to that this spring. And then also secondarily kind of, I know he's listed at 6'4", 215-ish. Um, you know, is that size something that's going to be able to serve him well at shortstop being 18 years old, or do you think he outgrows that position? You know, he's he's an a, a unusual prospect because I think – that if you see him on a given day, the hit tool concerns are definitely valid. Like I saw him the first time and he got absolutely eaten up by a changeup. I think it was like a 17th rounder under like USC, the Cardinals draft, like a lefty with a pretty decent changeup. But he just like, he just backed up on it three times and House swung through three of them <laughs> and I think took the second. Um, and then the you know the next day I'll, uh, you could see Brady House sit back on a, a breaking ball and drive it the other way with authority. Yeah. Um, you know he's already homered I think uh, early on this season. There's a ton of bat speed, a ton of raw power. He's a pretty impressive athlete. Um, that I would say I have less concern about him moving off the position than I do. Marcelo Mayer, who I do think will move off the position. He's a much better athlete than Mayer is. Mayer's a better hitter than he is. He's a much better athlete than Mayer is. Um, the athletic testing last year uh, at PDP, he was the best athlete in the class based on that testing. And there's a series of tests that they go through, you know, broad jump. They do, I think, 40s, 60s, that sort of thing. Um, maybe some shovel stuff, cone drills, et cetera. So it's a lot like the combine, like the NFL combine, but he yeah. was like a workout. He was like a workout warrior. So I think some of those concerns are a little overstated um, mm -hmm. because I think he's such a freak athlete. Now, is he going to be the best shortstop defender? That I don't know, but I, I have no question that he'll stay on the left side of the infield. And at the very least, will be an above average defensive third baseman, if not a really, really good defensive third baseman. He's got a good arm. Um, the actions were fine. Uh, you know, if you want to say that he doesn't get aggressive in terms of coming in on a ball, you know, kind of contrasting, comparing, contrasting him and like a Khalil Watson or a Jose Salas or one of those sort of guys that has a little bit more, we'll say, you know, defensive ability. Um, he's probably not as aggressive but it's a serious arm, and he makes the plays that he should. I, I didn't see any concerns with um, first step or range or anything like that. Uh, mm -hmm. I really think it's just a he, he's a little bit more passive at the position maybe than um, guys that maybe you consider a little bit more flashy defenders. So yeah. I don't know if I'm really concerned about him moving off a shortstop. Um, like, could it happen? 
Yeah, like I, I would say that I'm probably like 60-40 on it. Like, yeah, he probably ends up at third base being the 60%. Um, but it's 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 not outlandish that he stays there. Um, I think he's probably a better defender than some – I mean, an athlete than some guys are that are shortstops like Xander Bogarts. He's a better athlete than Bogarts is. Um, so I think it's going to take some time with him. I think there will be struggles at times. Uh, at the plate, I think as he adjusts to levels, there'll be some some rough patches that I think the sky will fall for a lot of rankers um, if he stinks for a month and a half. Because <laughs> yeah. he could be, because yeah. I think when he's bad, I, and Chris saw him as an amateur, I think um, when he's bad, he could be really bad. You know, like he can look like lost at the plate. It happened at times during his um, his his showcase summer. Granted that, you know, it's a very unusual year. So if anybody yeah. was lost during that period, I honestly don't blame them. But, and sometimes I think that might surface a little bit, but in the end, he's a really exciting athlete. Um, and yeah. he's a rare kind of athlete uh, for baseball. You know, I think that there are some, some Bobby Witt Jr. sort of elements that it's like had a, you know, an off showcase spring. There was a lot of noise about, uh, you know, the hit tool. Um, but he was also famous when he was 15 years old and there was a ton of pedigree. I don't think he's as twitchy as what junior is. I don't think he's as good of a hitter or has as much probably long-term power projection as wit, but he's kind of like the discount version of that, you know, which I think is probably yeah. why he dropped the 10, but yeah. he's still a really interesting player. I mean, we have four shortstops that were drafted last year and all of them are good. Yeah, and then you know, as we talk about it, it's sort of the the um, the onus, partially anyway, is kind of uh, on the organization to kind of work work that out, develop that out. But uh, uh, of course, you know, as you're saying, when players like that have an athleticism, to kind of start with, uh, you know, it can kind of uh, give them a head start. I think seems like in in uh, getting to where they need to go. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. I, I, I'm just going to throw a random story out here because it's the only thing I have to really to add here is uh, Brady House last year was in the playoffs and he was in the playoffs at a, a school about an hour away from Chattanooga. And one of the I, I'll just say a high ranking official in a team that is not uh, considered a well-run organization was up in Chattanooga. And I go, oh, yeah, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. I'm going to go and see uh, Freddie House. He's an hour from here. He's like, really? He's an hour from here? He's like, I, I really need to go see him. It's like, oh, he's like, the team didn't let me know he was only going to be an hour from here. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go see him. <laughs> so I made sure an executive from another team who did not draft him, mind you, uh, was able to get to go see him because uh, his organization uh, couldn't read a map and figure out that he was only an hour away. So uh, you're sorry. a good, you're so, a good man, Chris. I know, I know. I I worried for a second. I was like, should I have told him? But then I was like, ah, there's no way this team's gonna draft him. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna draft somebody bad anyway. <laughs> oh, no, they didn't. They actually drafted well, I think. Um, but anyway. Uh, next guy on our list is a guy that um, Jeff's talked about a few times today is uh, being one of the uh, better prospects he saw in last year, um, talking to mid-Atlantic uh, scouts, whether they were cross-checkers, video guys, or area guys in North Carolina. Uh, Khalil Watson was one of 
two names that just consistently got mentioned. James uh, Triandos uh, from the Cubs was another one from that area. But it always any any discussion about any of those prospects always went back to how good Watson was. That's what the scouts wanted to talk about. So. Uh, Jeff, you had a chance to see him in uh, Marlins camp, just like you saw Yuri Perez. Um, you spoke of his explosiveness. Uh, tell us about that. So first at bat, he ambushes a, a fastball on the inner part of the plate. You know, he's a lefty, by the way. Uh, you know, throws left, or excuse me, hits right, throws left. Uh, yeah, hits left, throws yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So uh, <laughs> he he gets up to the plate. He ambushes a fastball, drives it out to the batter's eye in center field, about 405 feet. Um, comes around second base. Sees sees that the the center fielder mishandles it or sort of bobbles it as he's getting into his glove to make a throw. And he just hit another gear to third base, and you know he's in there for a triple. Next at bat, uh, he's facing Edwin Nunez, Cardinals prospect, who throws. 97 to 100 miles per hour pretty consistently with a banger with a banger and um he's on the fastball but he sees he sees a breaking ball freezes him a little bit next pitch the guy goes back to the breaking ball watson sits back on it and just drives it back up the middle um and then he made a ton of good plays in the field batting practice really loud uh camp days i think he might have had a homer one of those days as well um he just hits the ball hard there's Tons of twitch, a ton of explosiveness in that bat. It's a path that's conducive for, um, you know, hitting the ball hard in the air. Um, he takes really good at bats. He's got pretty good plate, plate, plate approach. The bats of ball skills, like there's going to be some swing and miss just because he does have, um, you know, a steeper bat path. Uh, but I don't think it's like outrageous kind of a thing. You know, I, I think it's more like he may have a strikeout, uh, you know, and then two hits, <laughs> like, you know, um, he's also not the kind of guy who's probably going to get frozen a lot, um, in full counts or like two strike counts. Um, you throw him a strike in the zone, he's, he's going to put his bat on it. Um, and he's good in the field. He moves really well. I think he's a shortstop long-term. They have a lot of shortstops. So there's going to be times during the season uh, in Jupiter where he and Salas are, you know, flip-flopping between second and shortstop. Um, they just have a lot of guys in the infield right now. And I don't even think that's that's it. They still have Cape, as I mentioned. Ian Lewis yeah. doesn't have an assignment right now, but he's another infielder. Um, they get a bunch. So, you know, he might not always play shortstop, but I, but I do think that long-term that's where his home is. Um, he's a really fun player, too. It's a big over-the-top sort of personality. He likes to talk. He's flashy on the field. He's sort of always, um, always yapping, you know, posing guys, his own teammates, uh, kind of in a fun way most of the time. Um, so he's entertaining. Like I think, I think he's the kind of guy that, um, if it all breaks right, he could be a humongous superstar and the type that baseball kind of desperately needs, which is you know a big over-the-top flamboyant sort of personality with the the swagger and the play to back it um i know i'm putting a lot in a 19 year old kid right now but when you watch him play i think that comes across that it's like jazz chisholm right like if jazz yeah. like, it's his 90th percentile outcome 
it's like all right like that guy could be the biggest like, like the biggest guy since griffey you know um baseball needs someone like that so watson kind of has some of those characteristics as long as um you know he I think just stays out of trouble. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, kind of. I agree with that. He is. He is um, just a delight to watch. Um, yeah. I mean, I've only gotten a chance to watch him on video, and it, it, the enthusiasm pops on video. That's hard to do when yeah. you're watching clips of a guy take swings, and you can see that sort of thing come through. You mentioned that. They have a lot of shortstops there. You mentioned uh, Salas. Uh, Salas. Uh, were you able to see him as well? Yeah. Um, I saw Salas in the same game. He actually homered for me a couple days later uh, against the Cardinals. Um, another lefty bat, ton of bat speed, a little bit more hit tool focus. But let's say if, if Khalil's going to be, you know, 60 to 70 power, he's probably 55 to 60 with more hit. Um okay. Not as athletic as uh, a little bit more stocky than Watson is, um, but he's going to be able to move, I think, you know, to second and be an above average defender there. Could fill in any day and shortstop and not have a problem. Um, they're going to be a really dynamic duo. I think that Watson's already well inside top 100 lists. I think that um, Salas has a legitimate case to be um, on the back end of all top 100s. He's kind of within that like 75 to. 175 or 200 range where there's just you know a lot of similar sort of valued prospects but um you know if we're talking fantasy leagues if he's a guy that's available on your waiver wire um outside of leagues where you know 100 prospects are under or owned i, I think solace is a pretty good grab personally i've, I've added him up in a bunch of leagues i agree i I, I um this offseason i had a lot of shares on him uh you know, we do have kind of the benefit. We can talk to people. We've got video. We've got uh, when, when available data. Um, but he's a guy that has um, been on my radar since uh, specifically one uh, contact um, was the one that brought him up when I was uh, asking about Marlins prospects in 2021. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, awesome. Brent? I uh, wanted to touch on a Cardinal uh, prospect, too. You, I think you mentioned briefly. Uh, that's Mason Wynn, uh, two-way player uh, from the 2020 draft. Uh, certainly, because of the uniqueness of uh, his skill set and and the fact that he's uh, you know dabbling in some hitting and pitching. Interested on what your thoughts and impressions were uh, and taking a look, taking a look at uh, Wynn. Yeah, so they've actually moved him, as far as I know, um, full time into the infield. He's no longer going to pitch. I think he only pitched once last year. But I guess okay. like behind the scenes, he was throwing pens, uh, et cetera, that sort of thing. Um, but he played in the double A games, as I said, played shortstop and second base. He's not the defender um, that Delvin Perez is with a glove, who is like a tremendous defender. I mean, it's his, his standout characteristic. Um, but he's solid enough. Uh, he has a tremendous arm. It's one of the, I think it's, one of the best infield arms in baseball. Um, I think he actually had the hardest infield throw ever recorded on a Hawkeye or Trackman system last year. Um, Cause they have Hawkeye obviously at Dean where uh, the Palm beach Cardinals play their home games. So I think he had a 99 mile per hour throw from the short. So, I mean, and, and I got to see it a couple times in action, deep throws. Uh, 
I think for some of the stuff he maybe misses with his glove. And the other thing is like, I give him the benefit of the doubt as a defender. You look at a guy like this and you say to yourself, all right, well, he was a pitcher and a hitter. There was so much stuff that he had to work on between just pitching and hitting, let alone defense at shortstop. Now that he's committed to it full time, he's a really good athlete. He's rangy. If all that comes together in terms of his motions and just learning like the ins and outs and um, the idiosyncrasies of playing the position, his arm is going to cover like a ton of ground for him. It's going to make up for stuff. Um, it's a weapon. His plate approach was much improved. His swing in turn, if you watch how he, any of his swings from 2021, his upper body and, and, and lower body aren't always um, synchronized really well. He's way more synced up now. It's a much cleaner swing. I saw him drive a, cu- a couple balls to, to the wall for extra bases in consecutive days. Um, t- took good at bats, walked. Uh, you know, he seemed pretty sure of himself. I remember there was one time it was uh, a full count, and he got a bad call uh, on the outer half of the plate. It should have been a ball. And so, like, he walked back, and uh, he was, like, totally, like, nonchalant about it and, like, looked at one of his coaches. That was a ball, right? Guy was like, "Uh, yep, yep, good job. Don't swing at that pitch. And I just thought it was, like, okay, like, he's he's thinking about, like, what's going on at the plate. He's asking his coaches, hey, was that a bad pitch for me to take? You know, so, like, I, I feel like based on what I saw, you know, I'm not ready to shove him up lists yet. But based yeah. on what I saw, I do think he's a he's an interesting player and somebody that could be really exciting. Oh man, the kids are attacking each other again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I had uh, uh, hadn't realized they had moved him to uh, hitting or to a position player full time, um, and wasn't sure about um, you know the reports we had gotten earlier about uh, yeah some some questions about his his hit tool to hitting ability and stuff. So it's good to. Good to hear that he's made some adjustments and again, looking at the guy live and remembering that, uh, you know, they, people change and if these players develop, uh, as they, as they move through the system, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, you know, it's just good, good thing to remember and a good, uh, eyewitness report to have. Well, I got the last guy that we're going to cover a guy that, um, really kind of just popped, um, from what I understand in instructionals this year, somebody who, in the Astros organization, um, he's a right-handed pitcher, and he's, I think, pitching for Fayetteville, um, their low-A affiliate, and that's Alimber Santa. Um, you got to see him. Uh, was the velocity all that everybody's saying it was, high 90s and uh, uh, juiced? Yeah, so um, he actually got pulled from his last start, so um Fingers crossed, everything is is okay there. Uh, that wasn't great, but when I yeah, saw yeah, hopefully him, he was didn't jinx him by putting him on here. I mean, that was, <laughs> he was the most he was the most impressive guy. Like I hadn't really I, I knew the name, but I didn't really know anything about him. Um, I hadn't seen him really written about anywhere. So he was like really a sort of a blind look. Um, he came in after Hightar Tokar, who's a big uh, right hander that they signed out of Brazil back in like 2017 that had a little bit of helium when he first signed. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he's like six foot seven, six foot eight. He's no Yuri though. Um, no. San- Santa came in and Santa was just like 95 to 97 touching eights, like super easy with a two plane breaking ball. That was kind of sweepy. 
you know, I mean, it was, it was really good. And like in general, he commanded the fastball to both parts sides of the plate. The breaking ball was inconsistent. Like it, he had a few that broke bad misses that like broke behind <laughs> the hitters back. He maybe <laughs> hit a guy. Um, but it's like 77 to 79 and kind of had, let's say sort of slurvy shape um, with a little bit of sweep that kind of dropped late. Um, But it was a good pitch and he's 18 and has plenty of projection remaining and it's a pretty good athletic build. So you you have to think that he'll add like good weight Um, that even if it's just 20 pounds, he could be a guy that's, you know, throwing a breaking ball and, you know, 82 to 84 with good, good movement and an absolute, nasty fastball at 97 plus you know because um, oh, wow. he's almost there now and you can see it so as long as he remains healthy i think he's a guy uh he won't be on our updated list top 30 where we're just adding the trades and um the, the ifas the j2 uh, kids from the last class but he will be on the may list and i you know i think right now as long as you know injury permitting He's probably going to be like 16 on the list for the Astros, maybe even higher. Yeah, uh, and that's impressive. That's an impressive ranking for a guy that uh, virtually came out of nowhere. I think the first reports I ever heard about him was from Instructs this year. Uh, and I just I just logged on to Baseball America, and that was uh, pretty much the, the content that was uh, put on his little blurb. Uh, you guys had him 38th, uh, which I thought was awesome that you guys went to 40 this year. Um, that was a um, you know a nice little change um, seeing seeing forty prospects. I'm sure. And yeah, some I think they did that. I think this is the second year they did it. Oh, okay. Nice. I missed it. I missed it in the previous year myself. I think they might have yeah. added them a little bit later. Um, so yeah, but they have them in the handbook too. So oh, yeah, that's I, cool. I like that a lot. If only because yeah. like it gives you a couple more guys and and some of these deeper systems like the Rays, they have like oh. fifteen guys that would be ranked. Yeah. In the, they would be ranked in, you know, the national system, like without a doubt, you know. Yeah, and that's that's one of the funny things we we when we get MLBA um, together, um, I always have like tons of Rays and tons of Guardians prospects. Then there's other teams where I might have 20 guys on my list, and I have to reach for some other ones just in case somebody, you know, gets traded during the off season, and I, I have yeah. to rank a guy. I have to. I have to, I have to. I have to twist your arm every year for a couple of those. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm still happy that I never, uh, I fought you on Hector Oliveira. Um, uh, that was only when I really fought. I was like, man, I'm not putting him on there. I've heard bad things. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's a blast from the past. Uh, yes. We usually conclude our show, Jeff. Uh, we take a look at where we'll be this week, and uh, you know, I know that you have WrestleMania going on. Um, above you right now at your house. Uh, but do you have anything that um, you're going to go see this week, any baseball? Yeah, so I'm going to catch some AAA action early this week, and then I'm uh, going to be down in Florida again for 10 days, but on the other coast, on the West Coast. So um, once I'm out there, I am going to be uh, hitting Florida State League action. So I'll definitely get some Florida State League action on Saturday uh, when I get in. And then we'll see about Monday and Tuesday because I know, or maybe Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday because uh, you know Easter Sunday uh, is Sunday. So 
I believe that the Florida State League does not play any games that that day. So okay. I'll also, you know, try to get some instructs if it's going on and uh, sort of go from there. But yeah, so I'm going to get uh, a look at the other Florida teams. I'll have a full look of Florida by the time I'm I'm home. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. How about you, Brent? Where Where are you uh, headed this week? If you're headed anywhere, I'm I'm not even sure. I, yeah, I my schedules haven't quite lined up yet. Uh, there's a chance I could get down to Aberdeen for an Aberdeen uh, Wilmington series. But uh, that's one of those pairings that happen quite often. And the fact that uh, Wilmington is much closer than Aberdeen, I might, as well, I might just wait till, till that one happens. But I'll be, uh, I'll be mainly sticking uh, close to the home this week. How about no, you, Chris? That's not bad. I, I'm headed over to uh, Chattanooga and Rome this week because, of course, they play the same week every year or every uh, every week in the next like six weeks. So I get a week on, week off, but both teams are at the same time. So this week I'll be primarily checking out on Rome because uh, Hudson Valley, the Yankees high A affiliate, is going to be around here. So I'll get looks at uh, Everson, um, Pariah, um, Trey Sweeney, and Austin Wells. Um, and then also on the Braves, there's Vaughn Grisham and a few other interesting arms there. But um, as you guys are well aware, they traded a bunch of guys this offseason. So mm-hmm. not as uh, juicy of a get as as in previous years. And then up in Chattanooga, White Sox prospect, uh, Yoke uh, Cespedes, and a guy that I really like during the fall league, Jose Rodriguez. He's going to be there. And uh, the Reds, the Chattanooga home team, Matt McLean. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss uh, Brandon Williamson. Due to my Easter dinner, which is going to be on Saturday evening, so but sounds like a it sounds like it's going to be a good week for me. So hopefully it all works out and the storms truly stay away for this week. Yes, keep, keep the storms away. We'll be uh, we'll be interested to check in on your uh, goings on on next week's uh, episode. Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us this week. Tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and if there's anything else you get going on in the pipeline there at uh, BA that we need to know about. Yeah. So um, I have a few other things going on um, over the next couple of weeks in terms of, you know, content, stuff from the field, uh, minor league looks, uh, have a lot of video, that sort of thing. On Twitter, you can follow me at Jeff. That's G-E-O-F-F Ponce, P-O-N-T-E-S, B-A. So it's Jeff Ponce at BA, just the difficult way of spelling Jeff Ponce, not with a C in Ponce, not with a J in Jeff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'll have content coming up all week on Baseball America. I actually dropped a article on Sunday of last week um, where I listed 30 different prospects, one uh, for each organization, uh, one player that's outside of our top 30s. Some guys were in the 40s. Some guys weren't ranked at all. Some of them were ifas that are being added to the 30s right now um but just sort of 30 names that you should know for deep dynasty leagues some of them are a little bit more shallow leagues as well um but an introduction to a bunch of different players i really like sort of diving in on that touching on guys that maybe don't get as much shine uh, because sometimes they're better than the guys that signed for more money or had a higher draft slot or whatever and i'm working on something else right now that if i can get it done by the end of the day uh, just some some sort of rough notes um, based on all my MILB looks from Sunday and some of the different pictures I watched on Saturday and Friday. So kind of diving in on all the regular minor league baseball coverage that I do, plus the fantasy stuff that I'm doing for Baseball America as well. 
You're certainly a busy man. You're uh, you and Brent are much more busier on this baseball stuff than I am. Uh, thank <laughs> you for joining us this week on Eyes Have a Podcast. Uh, we usually give out prizes. We um, don't really have a prize. We don't really give them out. So sorry about that. But it was an absolute <laughs> blast having you on. Uh, as always, a quick thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of the Eyes Have a Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com. That's an email address. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Brent is at BrentHQ. And you can reach me at C underscore blessing. First time listeners to our pod. I'm sure we'll have a few because we've got Jeff on. Uh, click subscribe to get to, you know, to view our future episodes or listen to our future episodes. Uh, spread the word about us too. Share us on your social media accounts. Until next time, see you at the ballpark.